0: This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends, They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 38 of Good Beer Matters. I've
1: designed uh, quite a few beers for breweries in, in Spain. Every place I go, I try to understand the cuisine and, and you know, how the culture influences things and stuff like that. It changes things, changes palates, and, you know, brings new things to the table. You know, gypsy brewing really, I think that's a reasonable description for what I do.
0: What is a gypsy brewer? The term conjures images of a Johnny Depp character covered in jewelry and loose clothing, expounding on the transcendent nature of beer. In reality, this term encompasses many different things. It can be a talented rogue brewer who travels place to place leaving tasty beers behind. There are numbers of these breweries who send delicious beer all over the world, but don't actually have a brewery of their own. Some of these brewers do have a home base, but also serve as a sort of consultant. Sometimes brewers need help getting a project off the ground or to work through a difficult problem. Sometimes these breweries want to start off with something really interesting they can't pull off alone. This is why they hire the A-team of brewers. My next guest is one of the best brewers you've never heard of. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 38 of Good Beer Matters with Daniel Fernandez of Bean Curd Turtle Brewing. i've been wanting to talk to you for um uh, a few years now honestly um i i first got a hold of a few of the beers that you uh that that have your signature on them and uh they were uh very 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 compelling so i I really wanted to um dive into the story of who you are and and your brewery and and everything that goes along with that so thank you for being here yeah
1: well sure i appreciate it um it's always fun to talk to um to anybody, um, I think about beer. You know that, especially if you can sit down and have a beer together. Unfortunately, we're a little far away for that, but um, it's always going to talk about beer.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you you did uh, share some of your beer with me, and I appreciate that wonderful little care package. Um, and, but we'll we're, we'll 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 definitely dive into that. That uh, I think every time I've tasted uh, beers, I've had your hands on it. It's been a wow experience, not a meh experience. And so I I really want to figure out you know what what your secret sauces when it comes to brewing beer but um, uh, but you know let, let's kind of let's get to the beginning of all this stuff is uh, tell me will you do a quick introduction of yourself and and then tell me about your history with beer okay that's gonna be I guess kind of a
1: is a, kind of difficult but um, <laughs> I actually started drinking crap beer um, in the early 90s and uh, reading uh, Michael Jackson's um Uh, Books about beer, like uh, Beer Companion and stuff like that. Um, And I actually have the uh, Beer Companion that I had back in the early 90s. Uh, So uh, back then, there was really no craft beer. I think the Boston Beer Company just started brewing, you know, the Boston Lager, Samuel Adams, Um, and there was a couple of Canadian craft beers, and there was, of course, Anchor in San Francisco. And so I had uh, I had to actually go down to a, a liquor store. I think you lived in the Costa Mesa about that time. Going we down a liquor store, called High times.
0: Yeah, I was going to say yeah. high times. Oh man, I got to tell you a story about that place too. But but please continue.
1: Okay. So I would put together uh, beer tastings um, for myself and friends, and most of the beers were European back then. So my my palate really is tipped towards a European, more complex, uh, more nuanced profile. And that's really the way I make beers. Then mid nineties or so, my cousin Alex um, invited me over, and he was brewing a beer. And this is back in um, back when Stone, I believe, just started in Escondido, um, and and that's when I first participated in brewing a beer. Um, and it's you know, of course, the craft beer industry has grown like crazy since then, and um, and uh, I've been brewing off and on for many years, and um, i actually um, in early what was it about two thousand ten or so, I started getting back into it more intensely with uh, as many hops and 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 different ingredients that were available to just a standard guy um, or girl brewer. Um, it, you know it became much more compelling for me um, and I've been uh, cooking for many years as well. And I started my school actually as in the food service line chef, um, decided I didn't want to work that hard. And, um, <laughs> you know, that all kind of came together, uh, to the philosophy in a way I, I designed beers for myself, uh, oftentimes and for breweries in particular. Um, and I hooked up with an importer, um, brought a couple of beers by and they tried them and they said, Hey, we, uh, we have some influence in a brewery in Spain. This is in 2013. Um, it has excess capacity. You want to design a beer? For them. So I did. And that was, a uh, uh, Valencia Saison, And that was brewed in Spain in 2013. It was imported uh, to the U S as well. And actually you can still find a couple bottles on some, some bottle shop shelves. Um, They released a few batches, and that was um, uh, actually was awarded uh, uh, a bronze medal in 2014 at the Dublin Craft Beer Cup, um, and was the top-rated Saison in Spain on UNTAP for a couple of years. And then it kind of blossomed from then. I designed uh, quite a few beers for breweries in in Spain, a couple for a a very... uh, very um, like a prestigious, world-renowned brewery in in Belgium and uh, a few in the U.S., and also I brewed for a uh, co-op brewery in Taproom uh, for a year. Uh, so, you know, I had the opportunity to actually make beers uh, from you know from grain to glass and serve them and see how the market responded. That was great. Although, With two jobs, it was very difficult to do. Um, and then at this point in time, I'm kind of... Just uh, doing when I have the opportunity, um, designing beers for mostly for friends and for uh, friends who you know run run breweries, and I've done uh, just a few in the last couple of years. But you know that's that's how it's grown, and, and to the point where uh, probably you know I'm considering opening a small place um, and a kind of exclusive place uh, geared towards. More, how would I say, more mature folk. That's a pleasant and quiet and good conversation, great beer. But that's probably going to happen when I retire, um, mm. because I actually do have a, a normal, <laughs> normal non brewing job um, that pays my mortgage right now.
0: So, oh gosh, there's so many uh, little openings to dive into from that point. Um, so, so you're in Southern California. Uh, are you in or, or near Orange County?
1: I actually live in Orange County, and and so, yeah, Southern California is the, the seat of where I would like to do more collaborations. I've done a few here, um, but oddly enough, I, I've done a lot more in Europe, which is nice because I get to travel and go to the breweries um, and to the locations, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, a lot gives, of great beers around here.
0: Well, that gives you a ton of street cred when you're just uh, rolling into some... You know, Beachwood Brewing in Huntington Beach, or 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 any of the any of the breweries down there. Honestly, to say, oh yeah, I've I've worked with Phantome uh, and uh, Matteo Bernabe, and uh, oh you haven't heard of them? You should. They're amazing. You know, it's um, you know I, I I think a lot of people would respond positively to that. But um, but you know, Daniel, man, I wish I had met you back in the '90s when I was down there, and uh, I I I I found. I found that I could no longer drink the the American light lager swill that that we all drink at that age and time, and 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 I started searching for something better. And but I was very very young in my beer appreciation time uh, life, and uh, and I remember going to that store up in Costa Mesa, at High Times, to go get I'd go get cigars, I'd go get. Um, you know, liquor or especially that I, they had a fantastic wine cellar, if I recall. And, uh, and, and I had uh, influence in the, in the wine world. You know, my godfather was a wine connoisseur and trying to teach me about it. And I'd go there to find some really good bottles of wine. Uh, when, you know, I, I think I should have been chef, but like you, I, I, I didn't want to work that hard. So I didn't pursue that, but, but I loved cooking and I loved, um, of finding really good wines and, and uh, f- you know, within the price range that I could extend myself to. And, but I'd always go into high times and I remember walking by and seeing this, this homebrew kit and thinking, huh, you can actually make beer. You know, it was one of those completely naive comments and passing experiences where, you know, beer was just something that was made, you know, behind, you know, the curtain of the wizard, you know, something like that. You know, it, it never even occurred to me that that's something you could make in your home. Um, but if I had started brewing back then, oh my goodness, it, it, you know, what, what could have happened? If for nothing else, I could have been, like, you know, invited to all the parties as long as I brought my own beer type of thing, you know. But if, if man, yeah, I, I, I wish I had met you and gotten into your little circle of uh, beer tasting. I, I think that would have been life-changing. Yeah,
1: it was It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, not, not doing a commercial for high times, but it, back then and now, there were like a you know cornucopia of every human vice that was legal and and they still are chocolate cigars wine oh yeah they had had everything
0: they had everything they had a chocolate counter It was just like that was that was the one-stop shop for anything that was unnecessary but made everything better (laughs) yeah great yeah oh gosh um uh so gosh the there like i said there's so many things we need to uh, talk about i hopefully we'll get to them all but um you know, one thing I, I do want to—I I want to hear this story. And, and uh, when we talked before, I didn't want to ask because I, I wanted to save it for this podcast. But tell me, tell me the, about the name of your uh, your brewery. Oh, everybody asked that. I know. Well, um, I, I, okay. I, I'm sure it's an obvious question, but it, it's very curious and compelling. So I, I wanted to hear this from you. Um. It, well,
1: I. Okay, so the name is bean curd turtle, like um, bean curd, like a tofu Asian turtle. Well, everybody knows what a turtle is. Um, and to be honest, I think uh, it's on the internet, maybe on the website for beancurdturtle.com, dot com, but hidden. Um, the the origin of bean curd turtle, and it's a little bit. It was a couple of guys, me and another guy, that were chatting, um, in in not not on uh, the Internet, I guess you could say. Um, but the conversation turned a little odd and uh, became a joke, and then it ended with um, a, a poorly, uh, how do I say this, kind of lightly obscene reference to um Some cultural stuff. and So you can find the origin of it, and it may be humorous, or it may not, but really that name, Bean Curd Turtle, came out of it. um, And I used it for a while for, uh, you know, Internet name and stuff like that. And when I was considering what to name uh, my venture, the brewing venture, it's very difficult to find something that's not already trademarked. And so I said, "Well, uh, I have I have never heard of anybody using bean curd turtle for anything." And so it became the the name of the venture. Um, I think that's like, probably. Like I said, the,
0: I'm sorry. It's A little
1: weird. A little, it, yeah, it's no worries. It's a little a little odd, and it, I think it'll it's it's a funny story if you're the right kind of nerd. Um, and it can be found, but I, I'll go with just saying bean curd turtle is a name that came out of a strange circumstance and it stuck
0: okay okay so the the mystery will continue but uh i think that is a fair premise for a lot of comedy that it might be really funny it might be slightly offensive and just finding that balance is what propels everything forward is that
1: well me and the yeah me and the follower having the chat we have no balance
0: so <laughs> gotcha gotcha um well so uh you, you kind of shared your story you um connected with, uh, some, uh, importers and just kind of like, you know, had this incredible opportunity. But, um, when, you, when you started talking about, um, you kind of lean into more of Euro style beers. Um, of course we're talking the nineties when, you know, uh, Americans didn't really have our own uh, style, let alone versions of styles really well defined yet. I mean, I remember then we were drinking, of course, we had IPAs, but I mean, everyone was brewing ESBs. Everyone had a uh, the original hazy beer, the uh, the uh, Hef, hefeweizen. Um, of course, ambers and browns and reds were all the rage, and, and now they're you know nearly extinct. Um, but you kind of went a different direction, right? T- t- tell me about well, the, tell me about the kind of beers that you that that you're making these days.
1: Okay, so I I have a a deep respect for classic styles. And and the objective of, of every beer I make is to make something that is very recognizable as a beer to begin with. Um, and then bring, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes bring something to it that it expresses personality or expresses place or something like that. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example Of of that would be when I designed the beer for um, for uh, premium beers from Spain, Valencia saison, and the idea, the concept. uh, I like to talk with the brewer. I like to talk, talk, uh, do some research on the brewery, find out what's something you know distinctive about the place, and then uh, pull that into uh, something that is definitely a beer, but expresses the personality of the the brewer or the brewery. And then for Valencia saison. It was all about, and they said, they told me, make it all about oranges. The um, problem with making something all about oranges with a beer is that um, if you use oranges, it the, the, the ingredients or the what's what's in an orange is not pleasant in a beer for longer than about six weeks. It starts with a shelf life. is just like completely unstable. It becomes kind of murky and, and flat and unidimensional. And so I, I, I did a pilot, and as I do for um, every beer that I design for a brewery, I do a pilot and test it and see how it goes. And the first pilot was actually trying to use oranges, and it failed um, after about six weeks. And so what I did is I proxied oranges. And the, the way I proxied oranges was through a couple of different types of orange peels, through lemongrass, um, through uh, rose hips, which have a score acid and bring an acidity to the beer, um, and a little bit elevated, um, acidulated malt and stuff like that. So, so for that beer, the idea was, hey, we're, we're from Valencia, and so bring us something that really expresses oranges. And, and the challenge was to make it fresh and make it shelf stable, because it takes about six months for a beer to get over from Europe, um, a craft beer. Mm. And, and so, you know, I pulled that all together from my background with, um, cooking and herbs and use of herbs and brewing for 20 years or whatever. And, and it actually, you know, yeah, I put it together. I brewed the pilot and I went, Hey, this works. And I shared it with friends and, and other like brewers. And they said, okay, this is a, a great beer. I waited uh, about six weeks to make sure that the, that the character stayed and it didn't get flat or I mean, meaning flat in flavor. And, um, and then I scale up and my brew system where I do the pilot on is only five gallons or 20 liters, but it's built to have all the capability of a big commercial system and offer me the opportunity to scale up. And I've scaled up to 15 barrels from that system and the beers turn out almost exactly what I make on the pilot system. Oh wow! And that's, yeah, that, that's that's really you know using one beer as an example. That's kind of the story of it. I like to understand the brewer, the place, uh, the brewery, and hopefully bring something unique from that area to a beer when I do a collaboration.
0: Which is um, which is exceptional because that seems to be uh, with the conversations I've had and the experiences I've had. That seems to be a very a European, um, culinarily mature approach. Um, and you know, my, my experience has been, you know, some of the, uh, visiting Spain some years ago and, and seeing some of the beers that they were putting together. It wasn't, they weren't trying to make the, the best beer to drink all by itself. They were trying to, uh, create supplements to a great culinary experience with their beer. Um, and it, and it seems that it seems like you're doing the same thing. Well, oh,
1: Spain is great for that. Spain is great to, to, for the food, for the culture, for the, you know, just the personality of, of, of the, uh, society there. And, and yeah, I think, it, I think it's important by my standards. It's important to make a beer that, like I said, rec- totally recognizable as a beer, but carries something unique from, um, from the origin. Now, having said that, I also brew some very straight up, like, uh, dry Irish red. If you, you know, that's kind of a, uh, actually, um, a, not a true classic style, but, uh,
0: uh, but Irish do, red. Yeah. I mean, Irish reds are kind of dry to begin with. So that that's fair.
1: Yeah. So I brew style, I brew classic styles as well. You know, I do, I, I make a, a classic Saison that has nothing fancy about it. Um, but again, it's a beer when you're brewing a beer, it, a beer can be ruined by multiple things in the process if you get it done wrong. So you can kill a beer by a thousand cuts if you do uh, multiple things wrong. If you get everything right, then even an ordinary beer can be like wonderful, wonderful, and sublime. It may be nuanced, It may not be obvious, but um, you know, there's, there's nothing, for example, like a really well brewed Southern English brown ale. Mm. Now, everybody might not like it, but it's extraordinary. And there's really nothing uh, like an English IPA, completely different than American West Coast IPA, but an English IPA from Cask. i was just over in Scotland, um, in the UK. I've been a couple times. An English IPA from Cask is wonderful. It's it's you know the fact that it's about 3.2 percent. You can have three or four pints and and still be lucid and and have a good conversation. That kind of thing is what I really admire about beer, is that the, the foundation, the backbone of a good beer, is should be pleasant
0: and enjoyable and not you know, slappy in the face. And I, my, again, my experience has been, especially with, with some of the uh, Spanish beers that I believe you had your hands on, but um, just generally speaking, you brought up uh, English cask ales. The, um, these are beers where if you line them up in a crowd and tell you know a bunch of your friends go go pick your favorite one you know if it's just a quick hasty thing they may not be the best beers picked but those who uh, pay attention to more nuance and who have uh, more a better trained palate for beer such things you know uh, know, you'll drink one of these beers and it's not going to knock you over in your chair but if you stop and pay attention to it you'll realize whoa wait a minute. This thing doesn't shout this incredible story. It whispers it. And if I listen, it, it's clear that this is the better beer on the table.
1: Yeah, I agree. Totally. I have a kind of a private uh, group on Facebook where me and brewers, other brewers, beer writers and stuff like that, we complain about the state of the current beer culture and all the hazy milkshake <laughs> IPAs and stuff like that. And, you know, when a beer looks like a, a, a smoothie, to me, that—pardon me—but that's not a beer anymore.
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're getting into um, a different a different uh, genre of uh, a different side category of beers. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's become a very fascinating world. I personally, I love the innovation. I love you know. Last night, I drank a pina colada sour uh, just because you know it. I, I love coconuts. I love pina coladas. Um, it, it It was really good and enjoyable. but uh, when we talk about beer, I think I think you and I would uh, hang out at a similar table because I, I do really enjoy classic styles of beer, uh, especially malt driven ones, especially um, European style that are kind of you know meant to go with food or are synergized by the addition of food. Um, those those are the things that you know have been exciting. You know, then they're exciting now, and some of this fun new stuff. You know, yeah, it's fun. Maybe it'll stick around. Maybe it won't. But you know, we'll see. Time will tell.
1: Yeah, I think I think things change. People learn new things, and innovation always brings something new. I mean, as an example, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with type two diabetes, and I just happened to have also. Um, in 2015, harvested a wild sack C uh, from my backyard, from fruit in my backyard, <laughs> and White Labs is banking it. And that yeast ferments beer out very dry. I've, I've been brewing some beers with that down at a finishing gravity below uh, 1.0. Oh, wow. And, and that, for me, for the past, uh, I'd say, 18 months, focusing on brewing beers with extraordinarily low carbohydrate um as uh you know final gravity and stuff like that. I'm I've developed a palate for very dry, very clean beers. Um and you know, it's it's been great for me in that I made some beers that uh uh you know I can have a, a quite quite a good <laughs> What, you, what would you call it? Quite a good uh, serving, a few servings of beer in a night and not ruin the, uh, you know, the amount of carbohydrates that uh, somebody with a type 2 diabetes or, or something like that um, needs to worry about. And so innovation, even if it's forced by something in your life, um, it, 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 changes, it changes things, changes palates and, you know, brings new things to the table. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out nowadays, um, and I like, you know, what was it? Uh, several years ago, uh, Cascadian Dark Ale or Black IPA. Yes. Everybody thought that was going to be the thing forever, yeah. and who's heard of one recently? But it brought something new to the table, right?
0: Yeah, it, it was. It was. Yeah, it, I just had this conversation with a. Uh, uh, a beer judge master friend of mine about uh, you know we're going over the styles again uh, you know uh, category by category and I I couldn't find a, a CDA to save my life and that that was huge um, ten years ago and and uh, and I've seen that they still exist but I mean they're virtually commercially extinct and uh, and it, it's our palates have changed and we've gone on to Something either either more exciting or or maybe something more nuanced. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure yet. We'll we'll see. But um, but you, you know, uh, just kind of doing some research and just having some conversations with you. You seem to be um, exceptionally talented at the creative side of brewing, as well as the technical side of brewing. What is is your approach? I mean, and I'll explain. You talked about you're harvesting yeast and sending it off to white lads for them to start doing. Um, You kind of look at some stuff. And um, I've I've looked at uh, at least pictures of your brew day. And you're actually starting with the distilled water and adding your own stuff like that. Uh, Adding your own uh, water or creating your own water profiles is what I'm trying to say. Um, And this is not the sign of the everyday home brewer. This is someone, there there are many... um, professional brewers that aren't stripping their water and starting with a blank slate. What is your approach to, uh, uh, m- mechanically, of, of creating these beers?
1: Um, well, uh, I think it's influenced by the fact that I've been involved in technology as, you know, my my mortgage-paying job for many, many years. Um, and, and so, I like to understand the process of of anything I do, and it helps to if you if you understand it to a very deep level, it helps to, for to be able to produce something that you really want um, that you want to make. And I, I've I've done the Siegel um, course, World Brewing Academy course. Um, I've I've studied uh, OCAM, organic chemistry, and 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 different the metabolism of different yeast and stuff like that, um, and you know, how enzymes work and all those kinds of things because with a very reason that I want to be able to, to imagine something in my head and start with a blank slate and build the process and the ingredients and the, you know, everything that goes into what what is, uh, what is done to make a beer and then six weeks later or three weeks later or whatever, when I take the first sip out of the glass, go, well, holy cow, I'm like 90% to 100% of what I had in my head. And you really can't do that unless you understand all of the nuances um, of what goes into the beer. I think a lot of people make a mistake and they start from the point of, hey, I want to use uh, cardamom in a beer. Well, that's not really a target. I think if you're going to brew... Good beer. At some point in time, you have to be able to define a concept or a target for a beer. And I actually do that when I'm writing a contract for a brewery that I'm designing a beer for. We we uh, we define the concept and what the target is for the beer, and then you put only what's necessary in that beer to to produce that target, you know, to reach that target. Um, when you get to the point where you can actually do that, and it, and it happens. On a consistent basis, for me, it was kind of stunning, and it still is kind of stunning that I can do that because because there's so much that goes into a beer, and so much that can ruin a beer if your if your understanding and process is not good. Um, so it's it. I think that's where the um, the motivation to brew in that way comes from. I want to be able to put something together in my head. And, have, and then have it in a glass you know three to six weeks later. And if you don't do that, you're gonna you're gonna miss your targets you're gonna make mistakes in process you're gonna have infections, you're gonna have all kinds of things that just derail um, you know this, this thing you had in your head. you know what's in our head is always more glorious than most times <laughs> than what comes out for real. but you know with beer done right, um, with a good focus and understanding the process, you're a lot closer to getting it um, than if you're just winging it.
0: I, I, so you're very uh, very scientific, very calculated approach. Now, tell me about you, the creative uh, flair that you bring to that as well. We, we kind of talked about it with Valencia Saison um but uh, you're not you're not doing just extremely well executed beers. You're doing extremely well executed beers that are unlike any other beers on the market.
1: Well, I, thanks for saying that. Um, uh, again, the the creativity I think comes from the fact that I've been uh, cooking, and you know, uh, not professionally, but I've been I've been cooking on the edge of. Of of things for a long time, and I travel a lot. I've been to Asia several times. I've been to Europe several times, um, and South America, stuff like that. And every place I go, I try to understand the cuisine and and and, you know how the culture influences things and stuff like that. And you know. That sounds like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, self glorifying myself, but really what that, what, I mean, for me, what good is life if you don't get variety, if you don't understand it, if you don't, um, you know, get some spice out of life? Okay. So that's kind of a joke, but not really. Um, And so, you know, the ability to put that together, talk to somebody and say, what, how do I express the personality of of this brewery or, or how, how do I produce something that is compelling? Right, it may be different, it may, but but let's make it compelling. And the beer I sent to you um, that I brewed at Saint-Ton, uh that beer, um, Ghost Turtle, uh, Belgium. Uh, that area of the world has a, a, a liqueur called uh, Geneva or Genever. There's different ways that it's um, pronounced, but it is the grandfather of gin. So lots of the aromatics, mm-hmm. lots of floral uh, notes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, First, understanding gin, I could have made that beer unless I understood gin. I could not have made that beer unless I had Geneva, and then I could not have made that beer if I hadn't already tried and tested putting together different aromatics um, and coming close to that, right? Yeah. So... That 's where it comes from, it's, you know just like a, a how do I make this happen let's put this together does it work and, and and you know there's always trial and error when you do something like that, but you know it, it's that's the fun
0: part well, and you so uh, you sent me a couple bottles, one of them I actually opened up, and i', I... You know, thank good it wasn't uh, terribly high in alcohol because it was so good I couldn't stop drinking it. Next thing you know, I found my way to the bottom of it, um, and that was the uh, the Ghost Turtle, this this uh, collaboration with Phantom and 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 Daniel. I, I I have to say, as as a beer writer and a beer podcaster and a beer person, I I, I hate using the word sublime. I think it's kind of like a I think it's just kind of a ridiculous elitist, kind of a douchey word to use, but uh, I, I I couldn't get that word out of my head while I was drinking it. It was it was so complex and interesting, but at the same time easy drinking. It wasn't it wasn't terribly snobbish, but it was just a fascinating beer. And and to me, those experiences maybe it's a song, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a, a good book or poetry or something like that uh, even a good meal, good beer. Uh, if it's something that, where you keep on thinking about it long after the experience is over, then there was something to that. And I keep on thinking about this beer. I mean, the flavor profile is just honey and botanical and, and there was like a woodiness to it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like lumber or a, a bag of wood. It was almost like incense type of wood, uh, character to it. And it was, uh, it was, And the, the texture of it was, was just uh, just s- smooth, but just a perfect amount of uh, carbonation, perfect amount of uh, spiciness to it. And, and th- this was something where it was, it was just one of those holy crap moments. I, and, and every beer I've had, like I said, every beer that I've had that, that I know you've had your hands on have been like, wow, that's really good. It's fascinating. I, you, you make fascinating beers. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. Uh, i got to say, though, um, with
1: uh, the two collaborations I've done with Fantome, that one was a collaboration. The second one I did was in 2018. I actually designed the beer, and, and Danny Prignon, who's the uh, owner-brewer at, at Fantome, he has a feel. And the first time I heard about Fantome was actually in the, um, the Michael Jackson's Beer Companion from the mid-'90s. Mm. One of the Saison breweries that he wrote about – he has a feel for doing things that is fantastic. And, you know, I put together the, the, the botanicals, the herbal profile for both of these beers. And the first one, he said, Daniel, what am I doing with this? How, you know, how to, what kind of beer do you want as the base? And I said, well, um, I want you to uh, bring your thoughts to it. But, uh, you know, there's a beer he does called uh, Dalmatian, which is kind of close to a, a, a very... Organic, earthy, wonderful triple. And I said, I think that base would fit, and it did. And there's a, a phenolic profile to his um, yeast that is kind of like an infection all throughout the brewery. That um, you know, when I both beers I've designed that to be brewed there, I have to think about how the um, the botanicals and the herbs and stuff balance against that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, that beer. Especially I got to say you know every actually almost every beer I've, I've done with a, a brewery. the brewer brings their, their own personality to it and it's a, a just just such a pleasure and a stroke of good luck for me to have worked with some really fantastic brewers and learn, yeah, learn from them um, like Bob Sylvester have seen somewhere in, in Florida um you know to just sit with him for a brew day and watch what he does same thing for Danny Prignon, and the same thing for you know the the some of the brewers I've worked with close to home it's it's a, it's it's great and then to have the product of that you know good fellowship be so great that's even better right
0: oh yeah absolutely that, yeah, and that to me that's what the whole point of all this beer and food stuff is about is is really about Finding uh, ways to, uh, you know, like you said, that the more, the deeper you can get to these levels, um, the better things get. I, I think that's truth. Relationships and beer and food can actually help us get to those levels. I mentioned we were at a party last night, and I've spent uh, some time with some uh, acquaintances and and some new friends, and and just really diving into what this. Beer means, I, I I warn people all the time, it's like, okay, well, not everyone wants to go to the depths of beer that I go, so let just kind of give me a sign when you're done talking about it, but um, but they stuck with me, and we're just fascinated by what doors open when you pursue beer or any other topic in greater depths, and it just opens up a fascinating conversation. To me, it's about those relationships of just building a deeper bond. Yeah, I think sometimes when, we,
1: when we're into beer, we've we People at you know at gatherings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, yes. You know, that's why we need our own group.
1: Yes, but you have. A, I my understanding you have a great background in in wine and beverage and food and and you know a great education in beer and we need to if we have that I would I would say we need to be able to educate people um, and hopefully in a in an entertaining way and not be boorish and. <laughs> take over the conversation. Yeah, I, but I think you know.
0: I think we have the responsibility like, to be a a guide, not not a maybe an educator, but to be a guide and and just help people like take at least one more step into uh, the the depths of of something better.
1: Right, but you know that's kind of being glorious, but whatever. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with that, right. <laughs>
0: So, uh, uh, tell me, tell me about some of these, uh, or will you name off some of these beers that you have collaborated on? I mean, we've talked about Valencia Saison, which I've had, and it was as uh, wonderful as you mentioned. Um, it takes six months to get over here, and who knows how long it sat on the shelf. One, it was already here, but but by the time that I had it, and and I didn't, I don't remember checking the date at the time that I had this, but um, it was absolutely delightful, if if not just you know slightly oxidized. Um, uh, of course, I've had uh, I've had uh, several different beers from uh, Mateo y uh, Bernabe in Lagroño, Spain. Um, I don't recall if I've had uh, twenty nine or the Daniel, the twenty nine. Um, uh, but t- tell me some of these other beers that you've actually worked on.
1: Okay, uh, Valencia says, I don't know if you've had that." Um, uh, Premium beers from Spain is a really kind of a brand owner. Uh, they're one of the first, uh, I wouldn't say one of the first, they, they, <clears throat> they developed their mission and brand in, in 2012 I think and they like to build brands. Um, You've had which has Mediterranean seawater in it um, and actually you had it after I was over there in 2014 I think and they served me one of the first batches and I said you know this is Probably a little too malty if you want that salt to express, and I gave him tips on on how to mash it differently. Um, and so the the uh, the later batches are actually more clean and and refreshing and summery than than the first batches. Mm. Uh, but you know that's that's one example uh, is the balance saison. I I do, also designed a beer a porter for um, a brewery in the north of Spain. Um, Mateo Yeah. um, and they're right in the heart of the La Rioja region where wine is made. Mm-hmm. And so to, talking to him, I said, okay, let's make a beer and let's, uh, let's age it in red wine barrels. I believe that was one of the very first beers in Spain aged in red wine barrels, even though they have a ton of them. Um, and it, it also was, uh, you know, the top, it's still in the top probably 10 or so, of porters um, brewed in Spain, if you, you know, trust untapped. Is that, are Um, they
0: still producing that beer?
1: I don't think he's made a batch recently. Um, He's actually a chef, originally, the brewer there. Alberto uh, started as a chef. And um, so he does, he likes to do different creative things. He never kind of sticks with one thing. And he's a, he's a, I mean, wonderful guy to sit with and, and eat and, and, and have a discussion. That's right where the, uh, in the heart of where tapas comes from, too. Oh, yeah. So we brewed, yeah. and then we, we walked the street in, in the town where tapas originated. originated And, you know, it that was a great, great uh, experience. And so, you know, and then, and then I did a beer in um, another beer in Spain in a, in a city that's known for coffee liqueur. And so that was a coffee porter. Um and so and that was a there's Spiga. Been, Yeah, there's been quite a quite a few. I, you know, I I lose count, and that's kind of funny. <laughs> but most of the beers I've done overseas um, have been with breweries in Spain. Uh, I've uh, designed a beer for a brewery on on the Canary Islands as well, um, and and so you know it's, it's a little odd. Did
0: but, did, did you work uh, on uh, Los Sacarada? Or La Socorada? Uh, uh,
1: no that that was that was actually designed. That was the first beer from uh, premium beers from Spain, and and they they came up with that idea of using uh, of using rosemary and rosemary honey in a beer. That was actually brewed at um, at a brewery on contract for the first couple of years in uh, just south of Barcelona. Okay. Um, and I, I've designed a beer for that brewery as well. Uh, they, they that brewery has a brand called Rosita, and I I worked with them to do a white uh, a white IPA that has juniper and some other um, interesting uh, ar- aromatic components. That's uh, imported into the U.S. I think mostly in Miami and Florida, you can find it, and it, it's terrific little beer. Um, so I, you know, the, you ask a question. Um, there's there's a lot of corners that I've gone to and and made some unusual beers and like I said I get lucky I got lucky I don't know how how I get hooked up with people but I get hooked up with them and then we do something and uh, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, and and uh, that uh, thank you. That's a great segue because uh, you've you've managed to uh, by luck by talent by. Um, by just knowing the right people, but you've been able to, um, you know, because you don't have your own, uh, you know, brewery where people would come and get your beers. It, it, it is it fair to say that you're just an extremely talented home brewer at this point? Well, I, you, well yeah, you're, you're, it, you're, it seems like yeah, you're somewhere in between.
1: Uh, that's that's not a, you know, you uh, uh, People kind of—that's the funny. It brings up a subject. And the first uh-huh. time I um, actually had a conversation uh, over the internet with Danny Prinelle at, at Fantôme, I told him, "Hey, I've been drinking your beer since the mid '90s, and and it—I've always just like it been one of my dreams to be able to do a collaboration with him." And 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 there was a kind of a pause in his response. Um, and he actually uh, speaks French much better than than he does English. That he has a way of speaking English that's delightful, and there was a pause, and then he wrote back uh, and said, "Daniel, no, no, I'm just a brewer, and uh-huh. I do I brew at home mostly, um, and so you could say, yeah, I'm I'm a glorified home brewer, but I to me any brewer is a brewer, and, I'm, and I, I have to say, you're if here. You're, if, yeah, it's it's a thing where I think there's a lot of too much ego in the industry. Um, I, get, I may get myself in trouble for saying this. If, you know, we're, we're wrong people hear it. But some people, when they gra- uh, graduate, if you want to call it that, from going it home to being a commercial brewer, they lose their touch with where they came from, and and they're not willing to talk to, you know, the, the, the people in, in third class anymore. <laughs>
0: and, yeah, and and all the home yeah. brewers that I know they're always just full of joy because they make this great stuff and then the a lot of the pro- professional brewers I know uh, especially these days um they tend to be a little bit more stressed out and wish they could go back to home brewing so uh, uh I, I your point is well taken um yeah but i you know i i want to i want to define <clears throat> excuse me i want to define um you know everyone knows you know brewers and home brewers and and contract brewing is something else entirely but um but the term that most people are not familiar with is that of gypsy brewing uh and and i think right. another another way of thinking of that would be like a a beer consultant or may, may, like a, a brewing mercenary or something like that but um how would you define gypsy brewing well i think
1: the classic example of a gypsy brewer is uh, McKellar uh, and you know a couple of guys who are twins from north of Europe started showing up at breweries with their own uh, recipes sometimes on contract sometimes as a collaborator um, and they grew their brand and recognition and uh, what would you call it uh, their credibility by doing that and McKellar now owns some great beer and food locations around the world and um, and it has its own facility, right? Um, so, you know, I, I brewed in, a, like I said, I brewed in a co op brewery for a tap room. So I've had that experience um, for a while um, and found it was too hard to keep my day job and do that as well. Mm. But, you know, gypsy brewing really, I think that's a reasonable description for what I do. Um, people that are willing to work with me, um, I bring ideas, and that's what I, That's that's the, value, I guess, of, of what I do. I bring ideas and experience with unusual things and, uh, and then I invade their space, so to speak, and they actually let me do that and work with me and we come up with something great. And Gypsy Brewing, really is somebody like McKellar who starts out with ideas and and, and you know, a, a positive attitude, hopefully, and, um, you know, and, and has that, um, has that opportunity to bring something unusual or fun to uh, an established brewery and to the market after that. It's, it's kind of a weird place to be. Um,
0: but uh, I, you know, that's what, how I would describe it. And, and that seems like that has worked out for you. And, uh, and hopefully I've tasted your beers. Hopefully that continues to work out for you because, um, like I, I i i'm sorry i'm tripping over myself complimenting your beers they are so good and they're so thoughtful um so hopefully that can, keeps happening for you but um it, there are lots of really good brewers out there that will never have this opportunity this experience is there a way to become a gypsy brewer or is a gypsy being a gypsy brewer just something that just happens to the lucky chosen few
1: I have no idea, to be honest, I, and I have no idea how I know how it happened. But I know I don't know how the universe decided to hook me up with the people that that made it happen. Um, I and and to be honest, um, it's it's not easy. I've I've talked to brewers that you know commercial brewers that are that are fantastic, very talented, and they really don't need me. Um, they from. They don't need me. Um, they can make an extraordinary beer all by themselves. But when they decide to work with me, you know, it's like, Oh, wow, that's really great. Um, and so far, you know, everything's, um, everything I've done with a talented brewer has turned out great in the end. So it's kind of weird. And especially in today's environment when there's so much competition and, you know, brewing to a schedule and stuff like that it's more and more difficult to find opportunities for somebody like me. But that's cool. I understand it. Um, and if I went into a brewery where I admire all the beer that, that uh, they make and so forth, if I walked in and said, hey, I'd like to work with you, it would be no surprise to me if they said,
0: no, what do I need to work with you for? <laughs> yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, it's... it's it,
1: Again, it's hard to explain. How did I get the opportunity to do this? Um, um, but I think it's kind of a I got lucky and 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 it and it you know worked out. And I brewed it with uh, for example, example would be a Barley Forge in in Costa Mesa. Um, I designed a beer that was brewed by Barley Forge um, by Fenshawman in, in Belgium and by St. somewhere in in Florida, and I basically did the design and each brewery. Each brewer added their own twist to it and gave it their own personality. And Barley Forge is one of those, uh, the owner of Barley Forge, um, Greg Nyland, he has had some of my beers like you have by chance. And he said, okay, I'm going to work with this guy. And he gave me an opportunity. And so the beer, the brewers in locally that have done it, they, I, they've encountered or I brought liquid credentials, something I've made. And they said, okay, this guy is worth, um, you know, setting aside some production time or whatever, um, to, to work with. And again, that's, that's, that's kind of lucky, right? You don't get that, you don't get that kind of cooperation from a commercial operation who has so many things to think about other than, Hey, this guy, I'm going to let him, you know, design a beer for us. Sure. Yeah, you know, there's too many things to think
0: about. So, Well, and it seems to me that if someone did want to become a gypsy brewer or a beer consultant or however we want to term it, I'm going to stick with gypsy brewer for the sake of this podcast, but it seems to me that the opportunities would lie in a small brewery um, that is good but not great, and if you're a, a brewer uh, who can help them become great, that might be... opportunity and and another uh possible scenario that i can you know i can think of would be let's say you have this brewery that has just absolutely nailed the classic german styles but they don't want to be pigeonholed into only german beers um uh and so they kind of need but you know they, they have their their house flavor their house yeast the house terroir and and they need to kind of break out of that one hit wonder scenario and so they bring in someone who can help them uh, go off into like Belgian farmhouse and really expand their portfolio and they that they need an expert a consultant to come help them do that Um, but like you you know someone who just graduated from Siebel is not going to be that person you you know you're going to have to have some liquid cred or a portfolio in a bottle um, Is I think would probably be the paramount
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, there's actually, there's a lot more, um, having traveled around, visited brewers in in, uh, especially uh, Asian countries where they don't have a a culture and background for brewers. Um, I've talked to a lot of breweries, uh, a lot of brewers, and there's a lot more um, in the background consultants who design beers, and they'll go to a brewery and, you know, charge a fee, and and design a beer that their brand never gets on and the, and the brewery owns a, owns the beer and the brand and, and everything. So there's a lot more of that than we realize as beer consumers. Um, there's talented people who, who all they do is design beer and give tips on uh process for, you know, small breweries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's not as unusual as it seems for a brewery to get a recipe or something from someone else. We just don't see it, you know, in the end product.
0: Yeah, i I, I think it's. I think there'll be an interesting uh, premise to see if if there are more of these um, uh, highly talented uh, beer consultants that uh, help breweries get out of a rut or especially now with everything's gotten so competitive the beer is phenomenal but but how do you stand out when you're in a place just full of really really good beer it's you kind of have to do something different um uh even uh, speaking with bart watson uh the economist at the brewers association he mentioned that you know for brewers to succeed today or or i I pointedly asked him if, if he were to open a brewery today what would he do and he said basically i'd niche down um and I think that would be yes. a, a way to differentiate yourself and create a, a different experience, a different story and and that that seems to be what uh, a a beer consultant could help a brewery do is define a different path.
1: Right. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of uh, brewer guild meetings and the people that come in that are specialists in marketing um, and, or in, in finance or in something that you would think, hey, that's not—that's nothing about brewing a beer. It's required because uh, the market is so um, competitive. You need a marketable differential. You need to be able to uh, present yourself in social media well. You need all kinds of things that give a, uh, some point of leverage for the market to find you and appreciate you. Um, you can't just make extraordinary beer. Anymore that it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, it, it, you, people don't see it, but you, know, you go to a brewers guild meetings, you talk to brewers, you'll find that there are people out there that they're paying good money to to help them, uh, you know, get that that marketable differential and and make them more successful. Um, and uh, you know, so gypsy brewing is is a weird thing in that what I what I do mostly. My travel is covered. I get it right off uh whatever expenses I have, and some of my travel is covered and i and so far, most of my compensation has been in brand um and most of my focus have been, has been brand building like I said hopefully someday I'll be able, uh, able to open a small spot uh make great beer, and uh have it be more like a, a retirement right mm-hmm. something like that some something that's a good time so that's what I've been doing um when I work with other breweries and look, is is basically saying, "Hey, I'll come out. Let's have a good time. Let's make a good beer. Um, give me a little credit and and, and uh, you know a little compensation for travel, and that's good enough for me." Um, and that's I think that's where Gypsy Brewing starts. But like I said, there's a lot of good money spent in um in 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 making a brewery better from many different angles. Um, and there was one brewery I was talking to in Taiwan, and the guy said, "Hey, I appreciate it. Um, I understand brand building, but I just want to pay a few thousand dollars for a recipe, and you
0: walk away, right?" Interesting. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's it. But but I I totally get it. He, you know, he wants to own his brand. He wants to. Um, to not have to give somebody else credit for it and that is a smart business decision. You have to own your brand as a business and develop it. And if there's confusion, if there's somebody else's logo on your label, that's, you know, that's sure. confusion.
0: Sure. Um yeah, can he only make beer when he works with Bean Curd Turtle or can he make good beer all by himself and and uh, yeah, I that makes sense. And um it's unfortunate that we have to think like that. I, I, I love it when we see collaborations. It's, it, it's just a, you know, a couple talented people, uh, getting together, having a good time and the rest of us get to uh, drink the fruits of their labor. And it's, it's just beautiful. But, um, but, uh, D- Daniel, we we're we're running a little bit long. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Hopefully when we finally do, it'll be in person with beers in our hands. Um, cause I, I, I could see this just going and going, and going, and that would be fantastic. But, um, do you, do you mind if we kind of start winding down the, with with my final question series? Hey, no worries. Because um, th- I, I, I'm looking forward to your answers on these things. Uh, if you could be the beer king of the world for the day, what would you change?
1: It, you're asking a, a fantasy question, so I'll give you a fantasy answer. Um, I would say you have to get a license in order to drink beer. And everybody wants that license. And to get that license, they have to understand at least, I would say, let's say five to ten classic styles. Um, and and with that foundation, they can uh, better appreciate um, the variety and the complexity and so forth of, of the beers that are in the market. Um, because there's too much focus on... On, on either label or hype or uh, a single style. And, you know, in my fantasy world, everybody would know where beer with a capital B originated. And hey, it's cool if you like a milkshake IPA, but hopefully you understand what a good cask conditioned English IPA is first, right?
0: Yeah, fair. It's like you go see a movie. Sometimes you want to watch those dumb comedies just because they're fun, and then there are times you want to watch that you know that drama or that documentary that really gets you thinking. There's a there's a different product for a different mood and different thing. But I like your oh yeah forced education.
1: Yes, that's that's my fantasy answer. Well, you know, in my my mind, hey, it's cool to watch a Will Ferrell film, but if every film you watch is a Will Ferrell film, (laughs) you need some education.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, So if you had the opportunity to choose your very last meal and your very last beer uh, before you depart the earth, what would they be?
1: I think it would be... um, some kind of uh great pasta with putanesca sauce
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and a uh a Dalmatian from Phantom being very uh clean not clean, I shouldn't say clean, very uh, bright and organic and uh subtly rich subtly rich um, beer that uh you know,
0: that, that complements the spice and the pepper and that kind of stuff. That would be it. Mm. Uh, and then uh, with with all the stuff that we've discussed, with your experience with beer, with your, um, you know, you and I both can definitely uh, nerd out on beer, uh, but given everything that you've experienced in your world travels and, and recipe development, everything, um, in your opinion, Daniel, why does good beer matter?
1: Well... I would say that there's, in beer, there's an opportunity to share and a, an opportunity to complement a gathering of people. And, um, and you know, and, and I think the the real power of beer is that it's a very simple, uh, you know, done right, very simple enjoyable thing that doesn't collide with um, friendship and social interaction and food and all those things that really, uh, you know, the hedonistic stuff that, that, that gives us joy when we're done with the workday and stuff like that. So good beer matters because it, it makes the enjoyment of people and food and, and life better, hopefully. That's kind of a big thing to say, but I think it's really true. You know, when you finish a workday, and, and you're heading home and go, okay, you open the fridge and go, okay, that's the beer, that's the thing that's going to make, that's going to transition me from all the stress and so forth into just being alive and, and enjoying what's happening, enjoying the evening.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. Uh, if uh, if any of the listeners that listen to this and, and either want to connect with you um, for whatever reason, to... To work with you, to learn from you, anything like that, or just to, or just to find your beer, um, how could they connect with you?
1: Um, Beancurdturtle dot all one word: b e a n c u r d t u r t l e. That's kind of the the place where uh, my the foundation of information about um, what I do is on Facebook. Also, they can look up bean Curd Turtle um, and Instagram as well on b c t brew on instagram and i I kind of uh, there's a lot of people that follow uh, the brewery, but there's a lot of people that follow me just because they've interacted with me in the bureau sphere in one way or another mm-hmm. and and you know it's kind of fun i uh, um, <laughs> I meet a lot of unusual people last night I was uh chatting at the same time online with uh, Danny greenone of uh brashy fantôme in belgium with a brewer at a in, in india and then another uh beer related person in hong kong all at the same time and i'm thinking dang i'm in so many different time zones um so yeah it's i i try and and keep people entertained
0: and informed
1: about what i'm doing even if it's nothing <laughs> through social media i think
0: well i think that's fantastic um and do you uh, before we kind of finish this off? Do you have any last words of wisdom? Last words of wisdom? No, you
1: know, but but there is one thing I'm, I'm hopefully um, uh, that I'm actually trying to put together in, in uh, Orange County in Southern California is uh, not a club, but uh, meeting of people that are want to improve their their what they do um, in brewing. Um, so yeah, I think so last words of wisdom, that's kind of my motivation for doing it is learn what you can. If you're a brewer, even if you're a commercial brewer, keep learning, keep, keep trying new things. Maybe not, not too crazy. Um, but, uh, broaden your horizon, travel, eat different food, um, palate, uh, a broad palate is going to, you know, increase anybody's ability to produce better food, better beer, whatever. Um, And so travel and learn. um, That sounds weird if you're talking about beer, but it's true. Travel and learn and experience and try almost anything. I
0: I think that's perfect. Um, I think uh, I I made a decision to pursue beer as a profession in some capacity, and it was my trip to Spain where I absolutely fell in love with it. And, of course, it was, uh, you know, that film I I made and sent you, it was kind of difficult to find good craft beer at first um but it was just seeing the culture and the food and and everything that goes with it and that's where i just fell in love with what this thing is and um i i i would mirror that sentiment as well taste travel yeah. learn experience yeah
1: i like that little film is is a lot of fun
0: <laughs> thank you um hey uh thank you so much daniel for coming on this podcast like i said i i wanted to uh, hear your story for some time now so uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to come on.
1: Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been it's been great. Thanks.
0: Uh, and uh, well, uh, have a great day, and we will talk to you soon. Same to you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. If you think about it, athletes have coaches, and businesses have consultants to guide them along their journey. Are brewers any different? Sometimes even breweries need help taking the next step gypsy brewers bring talent and new ideas or new solutions to breweries who may be struggling with a problem join us in the next episode where we hang out with a beer writer and educator to learn why beer education matters good beer matters is a show about great beer great friends and the experiences we create together but it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.